Welcome to the UCLA Anderson Fully Employed MBA Program Drive Time Podcast. My name is Dylan Stafford. It's my uh, joy to be your host today. I am interviewing Sana Rahim, who is the president of Emerge Consulting. She's also our 2017 John Wooden Global Leadership Fellow. She's going to graduate in the class of 2019, and she's got just a very different kind of MBA experience. Mm -hmm. And... um, Obviously, we're proud of her as, as the John Wooden Global Leadership Fellow for this season. Just also really excited to introduce her to you because there are a lot of ways to use an MBA. And uh, you're going to get to learn a really unique person's point of view on why getting an MBA is worth it today in this interview. So, Sana, thank you so much for coming and being here today. Thanks for having me here. Uh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. So we were kind of talking beforehand, and I think let's let's go chronological. I think your story is so unique that people are going to get lost. So why don't we... Just tell people, like, you know, where'd you grow up and let's get you let's get you into college. Sure. So I was born and raised in Laramie, Wyoming, which was a very random place to grow up, but it was a it was a fun experience and I think I learned a ton from growing up in a small town and then And your your father was studying. Is yes, that, that's he was you... doing his PhD at the University of Wyoming in economics. So I then moved to Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago, when I was in fifth grade. And that's where I went to high school and attended Northwestern University for college. Excellent. And what what did you study at Northwestern? I studied English literature and political science. And I think what drew me to that was I really wanted a degree that was going to be able to help me think and write effectively. So mm. I didn't really have a clear sense of what my career path was, but I did know that I wanted to have a global perspective on whatever work I was going to be doing and being able to articulate that work thoughtfully, um, whether it was talking to others or writing. Yeah, what had you choose Northwestern? I think Northwestern University had a really great global development program that it was emerging slowly. So there wasn't necessarily an academic route there yet, but there was a really vibrant student community that was Mm. oriented around social justice and international issues. And when I was there, I ended up studying abroad in Turkey to study gender equality. And I worked with an organization that was working with women who had faced domestic violence. And we were doing research on how to develop policy that was going to be effective in some of the more rural and economically deprived areas um, of the country. And for me, that was a really transformative experience because I came back with this realization that whatever career path I took, whatever industry I worked in, there had to be some element where I was working to make the world a little bit better. So something with a social mission. And I think that's really what I took away from my experiences at Northwestern. Wow. And how long were you, was it a summer or a, how actually, long were you there? I actually spent three summers in a row there. To oh my, my goodness. To All my, with the same program. Yeah. And so I, I think when I went for the what? first that's summer. Unique. I've never even heard of That's really special. Okay. Yeah. I went there for the first summer and I was in awe of like the country. It's a beautiful, amazing Mm. place, very hospitable. I felt like I was very much at home, but I also felt like, wow, there's so much work to do here. And so I applied for grants to return the following summer and then again came back for my final summer. And I think for me, it just became a space to explore my own interest in this work and in development work and also realize that this is something that I really care about. Wow. And as we were talking before, you you started to have this evolution. No matter what I do in life, I want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And then and you really started to see you know gender equality as as a place you could aim your your life energy. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so you graduate from Northwestern and you've had an incredible three summer. So then how did you choose what to do next? So I knew that I wanted to work in the nonprofit space. It felt like that was going to be the best fit for me, given my experiences. So I worked with an organization based in Atlanta that was doing malaria prevention work in West Africa. And I think there I realized like, yes, these are issues that really speak to me and this is really important work. And I had a great team and I felt very fulfilled and proud of the projects we were completing. But I did realize that there was a gap in between my passion and desire to do good and my actual ability and skill set. And I didn't really feel like I was being thoughtfully developed or challenged or really even managed actively given just the lack of resources that we had during that year. And so that's when I started having kind of a change of heart of of what kind of work I needed to do to build up my skill set to do this work more effectively. So it was sort of like, okay, go save the world, but not a lot of training. Right, exactly. Yeah, because I think that at this point, your your career takes what is a sort of a hard right turn. So, mm-hmm. so what did you do at that point? How did you say, okay, I have a... I need to you know, close a skill gap with my sort of professional competencies. How did you get to your next destination? So I had heard of this company called McMaster Car in the Chicagoland area, and that's where my family was. And so they had recruited me previously. And so I got back in touch with them. And McMaster Car is an industrial supply company that specializes in customer service, management, operations. So I said, you know what, that might be a really unique space for me to kind of get a different perspective on how to be an effective manager, how to run a lean operation, how to communicate change. And that might really be the place where I can build up my skill set and experience to tackle these problems in a very different way. So I spent about five and a half years at McMaster Car and got to work in kind of a range of roles um, across sales and customer service, um, in our warehouse operations where I got to dig into process improvements and then also in our financial areas. And so for me, that was a really wonderful place to just kind of go through a boot camp of sorts to really challenge myself and dig into a completely different part of my mind of how to think about these problems from a business perspective. Well, I'm a huge fan of McMaster Car. I mean, they interviewed at Chicago. I went through their interview myself. I didn't get the job, but I went, <laughs> at least I went, you know, at least I tried. Um, but we've had so many successful Fembas who are, because there's, I forget where they're, Santa Fe Springs or they're yes, out. Yes, yeah. Santa Fe Springs, yep. And and it's such an incredible management development program that they offer. And they, they actually invest in people. They actually want people to be a top to bottom effective mm-hmm. manager. And so you went there five and a half years. That, that was your job starting Femba. Mm-hmm. What did you take away from that in terms of, you know, as you go forward in your career, what kind of manager do you think you can be now that you've had that experience? So I think the biggest takeaway I had from McMaster Carr was learning how to manage people in a way that was both fair but but empathetic. Mm. So I think that I was in a lot of roles at a fairly young age. They throw you into management positions. So I'm supervising people that, you know, are my parents' age. And so learning how to share feedback and coaching with those people in a way that's both constructive but fair. And I think that most shaped me is my, you know, in your life, you're going to deal with all kinds of people. You're going to be with all kinds of teams and dealing with different projects. But how can you kind of look at the people around you, see what's bringing them to the table. And if 
and figure out how to motivate them and how to engage them. And to be honest, right, when it's not working very well, how mm. can you part ways in a way that's mutually beneficial to everybody? And so I think that was a really useful skill set that I got at McMaster Car. And so you were with McMaster Car your first year at, at FEMBA here at mm-hmm. UCLA Anderson. And then what's been happening? So I guess we've, we've kind of gotten your your life story from Wyoming <laughs> to Chicago, um, off to your first internship, then to McMaster Car. So now you're here at UCLA Anderson. So tell people, like, where have you spent your time and what's been happening while you've been here? Yeah, I was I was with McMaster Car my first year of FEMBA. So I was doing the typical commuting to work and coming to UCLA on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And then towards the end of the year, around May, I realized that this was going to be UCLA Anderson and UCLA as a whole was going to be a really important place for me to figure out how to make the transition back to the nonprofit social impact space. I think there was a number of things that happened last year. I think the election was a big thing for me. Um, And also just, you know, reaching about five years at McMaster, I started feeling like I was ready for something different and new. And obviously you come into UCLA Anderson and you're just surrounded by opportunities and internships and programs. And so I felt like I wanted to take the time now to explore what UCLA Anderson could offer. And there was so much that it was offering. And so I left McMaster in May and first did an internship with the Price Center and worked as a strategic consultant for the program with Head Start and healthcare organizations, which for me was a really powerful way of applying my business experience to the nonprofit space and social impact space. So I think that was kind of the the first stepping stone and then went on to work with the United Nations Development Program in Istanbul, Turkey, which was kind of a unique experience because I got to go back almost, you know, seven years later to the same country and similar projects with a brand new set of experiences and, and, you know, and starting my MBA education. Wow. So so you had the three summers in Turkey during Northwestern and now seven years later. And it is after a very unique election in American history. What was it like to be back seven years later? I think I was very proud of the fact that I was coming back with a lot more experience and I felt like I could add a lot more value. So when I was there as an undergraduate student, I did feel often at times a little overwhelmed by the scale of problems I was seeing and felt kind of inequipped. And then I think when I came back with the management experience and even my first year of business school, I felt like I was able to add a lot more value very quickly, even at a big organization like the UNDP, which is a multilateral global organization that does not operate like a business, but I found like there were many opportunities to bring a business perspective into the meetings, into the conversations that we were having. So that was really unique. And then I think on a personal level, uh, it was interesting because of, I think, the world's perspective on our current administration. It did feel like I was spending a lot of time kind of answering questions about Mm -hmm. what it was like being a Muslim in the United States during all of this time. And uh, kind of navigating this new era of, of politics that we're dealing with today. Yeah, yeah, we're all figuring out how to <laughs> talk about what's happening and, and interface with it and be, right. a, be a leader in the face of all of that. And still, you know, Turkey still has big problems. So, right. you know, it's fine whatever America is going through, but right. you still have a chance to contribute. And you're, I love your story because your why is there. I want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And now you're you know, you're you're giving yourself the ability to make a bigger difference yep. through your education, through your experience. And you're not done. So, you know, we're halfway through FEMBA. Why not found a company? Yes. So let's talk about that. So so tell you're the president of Emerge Consulting. So 
explain us a little bit about Emerge Consulting. Yeah, so I came back from Turkey in the fall and I was back at school and I was trying to think through what I wanted to do next. So I'd left McMaster. I had had this wonderful summer of really amazing experiences where I got to apply my MBA education and my business experience to social impact projects and uh, working with a range of organizations. I think coming away from those experiences, I realized that I had a really unique perspective and skill set when it came to now solving these problems in the social impact space. So for me, you know, I have worked in a for-profit organization at a very large company working on distribution and customer service. So I think those are really unique skills. I now I'm halfway through my MBA. And so walking into an organization, you know, that is trying to solve very difficult problems, whether it's economic inequality or religious discrimination, whatever it may be, that there is a really unique way to now solve problems in these organizations with a completely different perspective. And so that kind of led me to found my own business, which was going to focus specifically on offering consulting services to nonprofit organizations or for-profit organizations that want to do good in the world and share with them some strategies and tactics to improve their operations, to enhance their leadership teams, make their teams more productive, and align their strategy with you know whatever work they're trying to deliver. And so that's kind of been, it's been about a month and a half now. And so I'm kind of just in the initial phases of business development and figuring out how to get my brand out there and and telling my story um, and figuring out like what is the the, the area that I want to specialize in and focus in because um, I think I've been kind of a jack of all trades for many years and now mm. I'm trying to figure out like what is the area that I'd like to make a dent in in my lifetime um, and so that's been kind of a, a fun personal experience as well. Well, having been in my role for many years um, and talked to many people, current alumni and obviously the next generation, for the entrepreneurs in waiting who are are listening to this saying, I want to be Sana when I grow up, any sort of tips or tricks about crossing that bridge from thinking about starting a company someday, here you are a month and a half in, you know, what helped you go ahead and take that step? I think for me, it was just asking myself, like, why not now? Like, if not now, when? I love that. Yeah. And... There is such a fear in putting yourself out there and, you know, there is a sense of like, am I am I going to be able to do this or is mm-hmm. this just going to fall flat on its face and this is going to be the one of the worst memories I have of <laughs> taking this chance and not knowing where it's going to go. But I think for me, I realized like, you know, with all of the tools we have today, it's fairly easy to put a website together mm-hmm. and to start telling your story mm-hmm. and to start talking to people. I almost feel like people make it seem like it's such a big hurdle to get over. And in my own experience, I'm thinking of it as well, you know, I care about this very specific issues. I have a very specific skill set and I need to tell the world about that and mm-hmm. my story and hopefully it will gain traction and it will go somewhere. But I, I think that a lot of times people think of it as like this massive hill that you have to get over. But mm-hmm. I think if you just start thinking of it in that way of you have a cause, you have an idea, you're committed to it. And even just for me, storytelling and just talking to people in that way, even with clients has mm-hmm. been really effective and amazing. And I think some people have been surprised at how quickly we have been able to engage clients. And I think it was just as simple as possible and being able to tell the story of the work that we cared about. With the first year, do you have quarterly goals or six month, nine month? Or, you know, how are you going to sort of incentivize yourself or direct your own energy forward? How do you look at the first year 
Yeah, so I do have quarterly goals for how many customers I want to engage every quarter. And I just actually launched my board of advisors. So I did feel like it was really important to have people that are working in different spaces to offer perspective and advice for these issues. So actually two women are from former managers at McMaster Carr, um, who have continued to be really wonderful mentors for me. And then one is actually Bhavna, executive director of social impact here at Anderson, who has been, I think, a wonderful mentor for me in a lot of ways. So I think that was one piece of it was I need to be accountable to somebody because I think Mm -hmm. when you are an entrepreneur and you're running your own organization, it's easy to kind of get lost in your own mind and your own tasks, but making sure you have people who can offer perspective and give you some challenges and give you some metrics to, to hold yourself to. And I think to get feedback. So I think just Mm -hmm. even in the first few months, I've actively sought out advice and feedback on the website and and the strategy we're using to gain customers. So I think those are the big things for me that have helped me stay accountable to my goals and kind of stay close to them. We get good at storytelling by practicing telling our story. So one place you told your story very effectively was one of the sort of high prestige opportunities of UCLA across full-time, part-time, and executive MBA. All three is to uh, put your name in the hat for the John Wooden Global Leadership Fellow. And you were a person who was proactive and you applied and and were selected. Um, And I got to watch you make just a really powerful, appreciative speech to, I don't know, a thousand people or so (laughs) (laughs) in Poly Pavilion last fall for the it was actually the 10th anniversary of the John Wooden Global Leadership Award. Tell people a little bit about that. What was that like to apply and what did you learn and what was it like that evening with your family there? And Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, obviously, it was a huge honor and I'm still kind of in shock of all of what happened with that event. But it was a unique opportunity to share my personal story. So like I've shared, I think these issues of inequality and social justice and social impact are deeply personal to me. And I think that's because they've even played a role in my own life. So, um, you know, as I shared at the Wooden Fellowship, I think leadership for me, especially when I came out of college, was supporting my family through Mm -hmm. a very difficult time when my dad lost his job. And so I've seen kind of the challenges that immigrant families face in this country being the first generation. And so it was a really nice platform to be able to tell my story. And to my surprise, I think it was very well received. A lot of people contacted me after the event and said, you know what, I've had very similar experiences. And I don't Mm. think in business school, it's sometimes easy to talk about those experiences. But, you know, there is a lot of people walking around that have faced economic hardship and um, personal challenges. And so for me, that was actually one of the most powerful parts of that fellowship was to be able to tell my personal story and the challenges that my family faced, and then kind of overcoming those challenges and getting to UCLA and how much of a gift this place is to me in some ways. And so, yeah, it was a huge celebration for my family and it was a lot of fun. And I got to showcase some of my mom's wares, which it's always really fun to be a model for her. So so, so your mom is an entrepreneur and yes. she has her own line of clothing. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. it was red and yeah. kind of, it was it was pretty. Yes. It looked like a sari, but it wasn't yeah. kind of. It was like so- a gown. It was like a Western gown infused with Pakistani kind of taste. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So you got to wear your mom's wares. And, yeah. And w- what was it like? for them to to be, you know, watching their daughter. Obviously, they were super proud and impressed. And I think especially for them, right, they immigrated here in the 80s with nothing. And so for them, even just seeing us get to this place is such, even getting into UCLA for them was, you know, wow, our daughter Mm -hmm. is going into UCLA and she's getting her management degree. And so to get that kind of honor and accolade in front of such a big 
group of people for them is like a dream come true, right? That's why they came here. And so um, I think it's just for our entire family, even extended family in Pakistan, they watched the video and they were anxiously awaiting to see the updates. And, you know, John Wooden is a global figure and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a global leader and figure. So I think it was just a really proud moment for my entire extended family. Kareem has witnessed incredible human history. Mm-hmm. You know, his recruiting trip here was a week before Selma. You know, it's just, wow. You know, he's Muslim mm-hmm. and he was black Muslim player in these very, you know, crazy times where the civil rights movement was just kind of beginning. And so, you know, especially now growing up and being a Muslim in the era we're in now, it was interesting to hear Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's story. And yeah, I think the most striking thing about John Wooden's way in which he managed it is that no one really knew, right, at the time um, that he was doing this. And I think it's because at the fundamental level, this was the right thing to do. And there was no need to make a big deal out of it, right? That if, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar can't play, then no one's playing. Mm -hmm. And I think that was just the right thing to do. And I think that's something that I strive for today in being a leader is just to, to do the right thing and, you know, just realize that that's the right thing to do. And there's no need to advertise it or talk about it, that we just do the right thing. And that's, all that needs to be done. So I, I really appreciated that part of Kareem's story as well, especially as a Muslim American. You know, looking ahead, you know, you've been listening to this voice that's been guiding you. You know, I want to make a difference. I want to make a global difference. I want to make a difference specifically for women. I want to bring best management practice mm-hmm. from profit industry where everything is efficient and effective. I want to bring that over to the world of heart yep. and malaria prevention and right. and women's rights in Turkey. You know, what do you want to see this next year? And and heaven forbid, I don't even know, where do you want to go after you graduate? Yeah. Like, so as, as you look forward, kind of where is your thinking at the moment about how to match your, your ideals to the next chapters you want to write for your life? Mm-hmm. So I think one of the big pieces, right, is I just launched this organization. So a lot of my time is spent developing this idea and figuring out how to take off in, in the LA community and beyond. Um, but I think on a personal level, especially talking about the current political climate we're living in, um, I am really interested in kind of organizing more spaces for people to come together to collaborate and partner, both at the local level, but even at the global level, to kind of you know create a space for us to organize as a community and make change and make impact. I think the most interesting thing being an MBA student is that I am surrounded by a ton of people who work in different industries and spaces, but a lot of people care about these issues and they're not quite sure how to engage and how to get involved. And so some of the questions I ask myself, even as an MBA student while I'm here, is how can I change the space, even at UCLA Anderson, for more students and for more people to find a way to engage with these ideas? And something that I firmly believe in is that not all of us are going to work in the same sector. So I don't expect everyone to abandon their for-profit job and come work in the nonprofit space. But how can I at least move the needle even slightly with someone who is going to be, you know, the future VP of a big entertainment company or a tech business or a startup to think about these issues and their footprint and their impact um, and their connection to to these topics? And can I get them to operate a little bit differently or to think about their social responsibility or to measure themselves in more than just profit, right? And so that's something that I think, especially because I've kind of straddled both worlds, the for-profit, nonprofit, international, local levels of kind of exploring these ideas, I'd love to figure out how to build that into our way of thinking no matter where you're working. Oh, I love it. 
one of the inspirations you are to me is there's that sort of, first I'll take care of myself, then I'll take care of my family, you know, then I'll kind of build my nest egg. Then sometime when I'm 73, then I'll be a philanthropist, you know, and, and you, I appreciate about your life path is that you're bringing that forward. You know, I'm not going to wait till someday. If not now, then when? Because we, we can make a difference right now. We don't have to wait till we have a million dollars a right. year in passive income to make a difference. And even small changes. I think people always think with these things, it has to be something really big and glamorous and lots of money. And But it's just even the small ways in way you manage a team. For me at McMaster Car, mm. one of the most important things that I felt proud of is that my team felt like they were supported and they were treated fairly and that they had enough money to live comfortably and that they were given a shot to develop and grow. So I think that even those things, it doesn't need to be going out and saving the world, but do you look at your team every day and do they think of you as a leader that's ethical and that is managing them fairly and that they're treated well? Yeah. Can they trust the health and happiness of their family to your leadership? Absolutely. And to me, that's like, if, you, if you're even doing that, you, that's a great way to make change. Yeah. You know, so... Well, as we start to wrap up, I guess my, my final question this this last few podcast episodes has been around, you know, like you're growing and developing. You're, any kind of tips or tricks or or any life hacks, work hacks, start a company, <laughs> you know, like how are you being more effective that you could possibly share that might help someone else who's mm-hmm. a year behind you, two years, three years behind you in their own journey? What, what's working for you these days? Well, especially as a new entrepreneur, I feel this constant tension between my creative side and my efficient, productive side. Because once you kind of unleash yourself and let yourself out of the box, there's really a million ideas you could chase and strands of things that are interesting. So something that I'm doing to kind of balance being productive, but also making sure I capture all of my insights and creativity is I just got this whiteboard, which Dylan has a very similar whiteboard in his office. Um, But I have it split. One is focused on tasks and deliverables, so things that I need to hold myself to get done. But another side is just like ideas and Mm. things that have come to mind. And it's been interesting. I have actually found myself sleeping less after becoming an entrepreneur because literally things keep you up at night now where it's your Mm. own business and your own idea. And so your head is always going with where you could take the idea. And so for me, it's like constantly seeing the two sides of the things I need to do. So I got to get things done. I can't live in dreamland all day. But I also want to continue to see visibly what are the things that are keeping me up at night. And maybe there is a time where something from the creative side of the board needs to go to the task side of the board where Mm -hmm. I can now say, I got to start working on this. This is more than just an idea. I think I need to start making moves strategically to start developing this. Oh, I love that. One of the things we want to do as we welcome this year's entering student body is to help people think about the spring and the summer as a chance to kind of start to map out your own work habits. Mm-hmm. You know, where's your desk? Are you going to study at work? Are you going to study at home? Like help people use that quiet before FEMBA really starts, you know, because it's just so much to juggle. I always think FEMBA is like this extra promotion you give yourself <laughs> where, you know, Absolutely. you know, it's like double the responsibility, figure it out. Kind of like your, you know, your first internship. Right. Here, go fix malaria. Right. Not a lot of training, just do your best. <laughs> right, right. Right. Well, how can we empower our entering student body to benefit from mm-hmm. some of the wisdom of of the generations ahead? We can just raise that slope of their successful acclimation mm-hmm. to being a working professional and all the juggling of that. Let alone starting a company halfway through. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> After your internship in Turkey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, Sana, this was worth waiting to get together. I know we had to wait a month or so to get our our calendars to sync up, but I just really appreciate who you are and I appreciate how you represented us 
in a very, very public forum. I was so Femba proud mm-hmm. watching your testimony and you know that you wore your mother's wares and you acknowledged your family so wonderfully. And, and I just really thought you did us very proud. Thank so you. It's an honor to get to have this conversation. I can't wait to see what happens in your third year <laughs> and beyond. More to come. <laughs> More to come. Yeah, we're going to circle back and do some Where Are They Now podcasts <laughs> here in the next few years. And those are going to be fun also. Absolutely. So. Well, thank you very much for your time. And uh, for those of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed meeting Hassana Rahim. Uh, she's the president of Emerge Consulting. She's our 2017 John Wooden Global Leadership Fellow. Look her up on LinkedIn. If uh, you need some perspective on how to make a nonprofit really sing, she's your person. And yeah, we just wish you all the best. Thanks, Dylan.